Welcome to Reclaim Your Power, Inspiration and Reflections for Before, During and After Childbirth, a podcast about birth, getting in touch with our bodies and talking about things that aren't often discussed or that you may not find in mainstream sources of information, a podcast to transform the way you plan for and approach birth, moving from fear and uncertainty to empowerment and inspiration. My name is Fungisai, which means to remind, and that's what I aim to do here. Remind you that the power lies within you and that it all starts with you. Am I allowed? Today's episode is on a topic that is close to my heart and that has allowed me to have the kind of births that I wanted and make the choices that were best for me, my body and my babies. This topic touches on the key aspect in this podcast, power. Who holds the power? Who wields the power? Who takes away your power? And how can you get it back? How can we as women get our power back over our bodies, especially at a time in the world when we see worrying shifts or backward movements in some countries towards restricting the decisions women can make about their bodies? Today, I will reflect on a question that I think plagues many women, those who are pregnant for the first time, but also those who have given birth before, felt disempowered, and are wondering what alternatives they have to be heard. Am I allowed? The answer is yes, it's your body, you have rights, and yes, you are allowed to make choices during pregnancy and birth. Isn't it strange that with all the strides that we have made in emancipating ourselves, women in the majority of countries today can vote, can work, can more or less do what they choose. But when it comes to the one thing that only we can do and men cannot do, we are still allowing ourselves to be told what to do. In episode two, I reflected on facing our fears. I discussed how we not only give away our power, but we as women are complicit in oppressing other women and limiting their right to choose. We let ourselves be controlled by the systems that were developed not to serve us, but to serve the powers that be, the medical systems, the pharmaceutical companies, etc., developed by men. Midwives, who often know and understand the birth process better, are often sidelined by doctors who've been taught only to deal with the pathological side of birth. In my work as a doula, I've watched where experienced midwives defer to young female doctors because they're specialists. This has been in situations where the midwife would have done a better job with less trauma to the woman's body. I've watched female doctors treating other women only as bodies and not as people. In a moment when the birthing woman felt overwhelmed and afraid and she was surrounded by other women, none of them took the time to reassure her, to say, we are going to take the best care of you. This is an emergency. Your baby is in the breech position and she can't come out without help, so we will have to operate. I watched and knew there was time to give this reassurance because this was not a life or death situation but this was not done. I've watched other women exert their power completely without sensitivity or compassion. Where the professional caregivers were not doing their job properly, the job of caring, but were only focused on the mechanics of birth. In another situation with my first client, the baby's heartbeat was going up and down and the midwife pressed the alarm and all of a sudden the room was full of doctors and midwives bringing in trolleys full of equipments. It was alarming and there was tension in the room, and the husband and I were moved to the side. I continued to watch the process and listen to the discussion. 
And although this was my first job as a doula, from my training, I knew that they were going to intervene and help the baby out. I looked at the father, who was now standing by his wife, looking terrified, and she just looked confused. No one had told them anything, and a doctor was already sitting between the woman's legs, getting her equipment ready. I went up to one of the midwives who was standing around watching and asked her, Does the couple know what is going to happen? The midwife looked at me in surprise, and I said, Maybe you should tell them and explain to them in English. Oh, yes, she said and went off to explain to them what was happening and why. Not only was this couple non-Norwegian, but the husband did not understand the language. It was their first child, so this emergency situation was really scary for him. There were at least six medical personnel in that room, and none of them thought to inform the couple. It took me, an outsider, to point out that they should explain what was going to happen. The obstetrician then gave my client an episiotomy, and attached the vacuum to the baby's head and pulled him out. He slipped out quickly and easily. He was a totally vibrant, strong, beautiful, healthy baby with good lungs. And as I watched him being born, a beautiful moment despite the circumstances, I could see that with a bit more time and patience, this baby would have been born without assistance. His mother was young, strong and healthy, but because the midwife in the birthing centre had been impatient at the slow progress, and had sent us downstairs to get a little help. What had been a calm birthing experience in a nice safe space had been turned into a crisis. Now these are just two experiences that I've had as a doula that made strong negative impressions on me and that made me angry and frustrated, not only at the lack of informed consent and lack of respect for the women, but at my own powerlessness as a doula whose job was to help support and reassure The point I'm highlighting here is the lack of compassion from the caregivers and how they exerted their power over these women. I remember asking one midwife before the intervention with my first client if she should change her position as she'd been lying on her back for a while. With her eyes fixed to the monitor that showed the baby's heart rate, the midwife didn't even bother to look at me, but she exclaimed, what is most important for us is the life of the baby. So I was dismissed and it was implied that I didn't have the mother and the baby's interests at heart. We need to realize that whatever trauma we go through during pregnancy and birth as women will be visited in some way on our babies, usually in ways we're not even aware of because we will have suffered and many of us will become over-anxious or overprotective parents. Some will take longer to bond with their babies and feel withdrawn. Some will feel like failures because they didn't manage to have a good birth or because they gave their power away. I'm not saying this to scare you, or to say that you can't be a good mother after having had a difficult birth experience. I want to encourage you to think about what actions you can take to empower yourselves, so that even if no one listens and things don't go as planned, you can still tell yourself, I did my best, I used my voice, I stood in my power, I did the best I could, and be proud of yourself. We need to protect ourselves, and we also need to protect our babies, so that they have the calmest, safest best start in life we can give them. So what am I talking about when I ask, am I allowed? Consent. As a social researcher, ethics are an important part of my work. When we want to conduct research, we first have to submit our proposal to an ethics committee, which then assesses our plans to make sure that we do no harm. When we go out to interview people about some aspect of their lives, we always make sure that we ask for their consent. And usually this has to be in writing 
after we've taken the time to explain in detail the possible impact this may have on them. They then think about it and make an informed choice, whether to be part of our research or not. They can also withdraw their consent once we've started interviews. If they feel uncomfortable, that's okay too. There are no repercussions or threats. So if we can do this systematically in our research, in our work, why isn't this done in childbirth? Why are women and their partners not told their rights? I know this varies from country to country and from caregiver to caregiver. When I had my son in Zimbabwe, no one told me I had any choices. I only learned about my rights and that I could choose when we lived in Scotland. And the information did not come directly from my caregivers, although they were excellent. I learned about my rights from an organization called the Pregnancy and Parent Center, where I did antenatal yoga. So this was purely by chance. The UK also has a great organization called AIMS, which stands for Association for Improvements in Maternity Services. And they work to provide information and support to women and also to protect human rights in childbirth. That sounds crazy, right? Human rights in childbirth? This organization was founded in 1960, and we are still facing similar issues today in 2021. This can't be right. But this is what I want to remind you of. You have rights. No one in the medical profession will tell you if they can help it. It's so much easier for them if you just do what you're told. In Norway, there's an organization called Leave Lager. I know it was active when I was a doula, but I'm not sure how active it is anymore. But it has a similar mandate to AIMS, and they have a website which has great information. I'll post the website links of both organizations in the notes for this episode. AIMS also has a booklet, which I think may now be out of print, called Am I Allowed?, which has inspired the title of this episode. The booklet basically goes through the various tests and procedures that you may be asked to go through, where you can give birth, your rights during home birth and hospital birth, consent to treatment, postnatal issues, and how you can complain about your care. I will reflect on some of these issues from my experience, but I urge you to see what information exists where you are. It's usually the best information is provided by charities or voluntary organizations. Childbirth involves two people, or three if we count the partner. These are the most important people in this process, as they may be affected by the decisions made by them or for them for the rest of their lives. So why, when a woman is going through the antenatal phase, does she have to argue with her caregiver to get what she needs? I remember noticing some light bleeding in the early stages of my pregnancy with our daughter. I'd had a miscarriage the year before. I knew the signs. I was worried and I wanted to have an early ultrasound to check that our baby was okay. I immediately went to see my GP and he was so dismissive. He told me that at my age, I was 40, these things, meaning miscarriages, tend to happen more often and seemed reluctant to refer me. I stood my ground because I'd been through this experience before in Scotland and my GP there had responded immediately and sent me to the hospital to get checked. So I knew I didn't have to accept this even though I was now in Norway. I was lucky that time. He finally referred me and everything was okay. But why did I have to argue my case? And how many first-time mothers or mothers without the same knowledge and stubbornness that I had would have just left the office, gone home and sat there and stressed and waited to see what would happen? Am I allowed? Yes, you are. Stand your ground. Why are we as women treated like children when it comes to pregnancy and birth? as if we have become irrational beings that must be patronized and told what is best for us. Yes, some women are more vulnerable at this time, 
for either physical or psychological reasons, but they don't need patronizing. They need good care, nurturing, and respect, just like all of us. We are all adults having babies, and we haven't suddenly changed into helpless victims. So we get tired sometimes, emotional, grumpy. It's allowed. We are growing a person inside us, and the most amazing changes are happening in our bodies. We should be respected and our choices honored, and we should be asked whether we give consent for everything that is done to our bodies. In my work as a doula, I've often heard, now I'm going to examine you, and hardly, is it okay if I examine you? I've heard, can you now lie down on the bed so I can examine you? I've not heard, what position is most comfortable for you to be examined in? I've mostly heard telling and hardly any asking. Personally, I've experienced both, being told and being asked. In my first pregnancy, I was young. It was unexpected. I had a healthy respect for the medical profession, so I gave my body over to them and let them do what they thought best. Now, I'd like to be clear here and say that most medical practitioners have no malicious intent. They feel they are doing their best for you. They are doing what the system has taught them to do and what the system has taught them is best for women. They only see the problematic pregnancies and births, so that is their point of reference. And since women are usually only with them for a short time, they may never get to see the consequences of their actions, and so they continue to do the things they do. I believe that all midwives want the women and babies under their care to have the best start in life. So what stops them? The training that has become more mechanized, computerized, and medicalized. They are controlled by the system where top-down bureaucracy and administration take midwives away from giving time and providing quality care to the women under their care. Where hospital budgets, dictated by someone high up and far removed, and the number of live births are more important than the postnatal quality of life or the long-term trauma that too many women experience. I don't have much postnatal doula experience, but from talking to friends and colleagues, and hearing their stories, there are too many women who've had bad experiences. And the fact that they keep bringing them up, as I talked about in episode two, means that the emotional or psychological wounds haven't healed. So what are you allowed during pregnancy? Do you have to consent to all the tests? You do not have to consent to any tests. Of course, if you have some pre-existing condition that endangers you or your baby, it's wise to do your research. Talk to your health practitioner about the possible consequences of having a test or not having a test. For example, as an older mother with my third child, I was expected to go for testing because as you get older, you may be at risk of having a baby with a disability. My husband and I discussed this. I read a lot and we thought about what we would do if an abnormality was discovered. We agreed on a course of action and I went for the test. I was met by a very kind specialist who explained everything to me clearly and patiently, explained the options of the type of tests I could have and the side effects. I asked questions. I felt in control and empowered and opted to only have blood tests and the ultrasound, but no other invasive tests. She respected my wishes and that was fine. It was a positive experience. As I've said before, I have personal pregnancy and birthing experience from three countries. With my first birth, I was given several internal vaginal examinations during pregnancy, which were extremely uncomfortable, and as I have learned, unnecessary. I also was given an enema once I checked into the hospital, which is supposed to help speed up the birth, 
and which again is totally unnecessary. No one ever asked for my consent or told me why they were doing what they were doing. Internal examinations are something that women think is standard or necessary. I was very surprised to learn that they are neither standard nor necessary, and your caregiver should ask for your permission before conducting such an invasive and uncomfortable procedure. I remember with my first doula client, she had so many internal examinations to check if her cervix had dilated enough, and eventually she stopped dilating. I'm not surprised this happened because there was so much interference with her body, especially once we changed midwives. However, instead of leaving her alone and letting her rest until her body felt safe again, there was more interference and the midwife tried acupuncture and various other things. Still no progress. She wasn't given much time and the midwife seemed to be in a hurry. She even mentioned that she would prefer to send her downstairs to the more medicalized birthing unit before she went off her shift. So my client's well-being was not at the center of the care she was given. When we were debriefing about all that had happened during the birth afterwards, I remember her telling me she'd been examined so many times she felt like the midwife was inviting everyone from the corridor to come and examine her internally. This was an extremely invasive experience for her. So what can you do about this? You can say no to vaginal examinations. It is useful for the caregivers to know how much you've dilated and sometimes reassuring for the mother. So it's up to you, but you don't have to agree to it if you don't want to. Remember that every time someone examines you, they are entering your birth space, and this may cause your body to tense and slow down the process. I will talk more about it in an episode where I talk about the birth space. So once I learned that you don't have to have an internal examination, I was so happy. And with my second child, I only had one check to see if my cervix had dilated enough so I could go into the birthing pool. And that was the only time I had to go through that. It was amazing. With my third birth, it was the same. The birth was so quick that by the time the midwife got to our house, I was already very dilated. So again, I went straight into the pool and that was it. My third birth brings up another point. Do you have to lie down on your back to be examined? I always believed you did. Just like from watching TV, you think women have to give birth on their backs. No, you are giving birth. So it's up to the midwife to figure out how to check you without inconveniencing you. Making you lie on your back is more for their convenience and almost always causes you extreme discomfort and again may disturb the birth process. So you can say, no, I don't want to lie down and your midwife will have to figure out how to examine you where you are. When our midwife arrived for my third birth, I was well into the storm of contractions, hardly getting a chance to breathe as wave after wave of contractions swept through my body. I was standing there, rocking my hips, trying to keep breathing and leaning against the wall. She looked at me and asked if she could check me so I could go into the birthing pool. I grunted my consent. And so this 70-year-old midwife went down on her knees and examined me from that position. I don't think I felt anything. It was the most comfortable uh, internal examination I've ever had. She was so sensitive, considerate and flexible, as all caregivers should be. She put me first. There's so many issues I could discuss here, but the point I want to make, and what I hope you will do, is go out and do your research. Find out what is possible. Decide what you want. And remember, you can always change your mind. With my second child, I'd written in my birth plan, and I'll explain what that is, that I didn't want my waters broken artificially, that is, by the midwives. I wanted them to break naturally because I'd read that that was the best thing. So there I was in the birthing pool, getting close to the birth, the waters hadn't broken, 
and my son's head kept crowning as if he was just about to be born and then sliding back up the birth canal. And after a while, I was getting tired of this. So I asked the midwife if she could break my waters. She looked at me and gently said, in your birth plan, you said you didn't want that. Let's just wait and see what happens in the next contraction. I cursed myself for the stupid birth plan inwardly and continued breathing. And she was right. With the next contraction, my waters broke and our son was finally on his way out. I was so grateful that she gently reminded me that of my wishes and what they were at that time when I was getting impatient and she knew my body was doing its work and that I was well on my way to birthing my baby. As I've reflected, you can see that when I started having children, I was unaware of so many things, especially my rights as a pregnant and birthing mother. I think knowing some of these things would have made a great difference to my first birth experience, but it's never too late to learn, never too late to do a bit of extra research. If you don't quite trust what you're being told by your caregiver, if you're told this is the way it is and you have no other choice, go and get a second opinion. Be sure, trust your instincts, protect yourself. So what concrete steps can you take besides doing your research, asking your caregivers questions? When the time comes, you can write a birth plan. A birth plan is what people call a wish list. It informs your caregivers what you wish for in your birth and what you don't want. There are many templates and ideas for birth plans online. It's important that you write these in a respectful way with the acknowledgement that things may not go as planned and things may happen that require the caregivers to move quickly and decisively. However, you and your partner should discuss what you want and write it down. And it's important that your birth partner, whether it's your spouse, mother, sister, best friend or doula, knows and understands your wishes and can advocate for you and know the questions to ask when you are in that headspace so deep in your birth that you no longer want to talk. I've encouraged all my clients to write birth plans. And as I've become more experienced as, as a doula, I've learned what's important to write. It's important that it's not a long 10-page essay. Midwives have limited time and they should be able to read and quickly digest it in a few minutes. The final example I want to share with you reflects the usefulness of birth plans. I had a client where I was her only support person and she was having her third child and told me that her babies tended to come quickly. So in her birth plan, she wrote this down and asked for a midwife with experience of supporting quick births. When we got to the hospital, we gave the midwife her birth plan. The midwife took time to read it and she then told us that she would find another midwife when the time came because she was not so experienced with fast births. This experienced midwife was called when we could see that the baby was close. She was a large woman and very brisk and businesslike. She got my client to move from the comfortable bed onto a hospital bed in a half-sitting position. Then she sat between my client's legs while myself and the other midwife were by her head supporting her. When my client told me her babies came fast, I thought, yeah, okay but I had never seen anything like it. This baby was coming out like a rocket and it was fascinating watching the experienced midwife trying to hold him back, telling us what to do and how to support the birthing mother, how she should breathe and when. She was straining to control the speed of the birth and I was so glad that she was a big strong lady because it looked like hard work. It was quite dramatic and the baby did come out. When the baby did come out, she was splashed with amniotic fluid, which I don't think she was too happy about. But what she achieved here was that the baby came out slower than he would have without her controlling his descent. And this time, my client did not tear, unlike with her other births, where she tore badly 
because her babies had shot out, not giving her time to dilate properly. I had great respect for that midwife. When she had come, I thought, gosh, she's grumpy. But her grumpiness was forgiven when we saw what an amazing job she did and the great care she took of my client. So that's an example of how well a birth plan can work. So I hope that my reflections and the experiences I have shared have inspired you to go out and find out more about the procedures that are standard in your context and find out what your rights are. I'm reminding you that your body is yours and no one has the right to invade your body without your consent. My next episode is titled The Hormones of Birth and I'll discuss the role hormones play during pregnancy and birth. This is another topic that enlightened me and helped me to better understand what my body went through during pregnancy and birth. I hope you will join me. Thank you for being here, for listening. This is Fungisai, reminding you to reclaim your power.